how does one become one of the best wheelchair rugby players in the world? How much pressure is there when you're going for three straight Paralympic gold medals? <laughs> what sort of sacrifices does one need to make to stay at the top of this non-professional and unfortunately non-lucrative sport? And how special is it to compete on the world stage for the very first time after you've become a father? Well, my name is Joey Lynch and this is ESPN's Beyond the Lead with Australian Wheelchair Rugby Vice-Captain Chris Bond. The 2020 Tokyo Olympics may have come and gone, but the world's attention will once again turn to Japan on August 24, when the 16th Paralympics commence. One of Australia's best chances for a gold medal at these games is its wheelchair rugby team. Ranked number one in the world, the Steelers, as they are known, are two-time defending Paralympic champions in the sport and finished second at the 2019 World Championships. A member of both the previous two gold medal winning campaigns, Chris Bond is one of the team's veteran leaders headed to Tokyo in what looms as probably his final Paralympics. A cancer survivor, he was awarded an Order of Australia medal in in the 2014 Australia Day Honours thanks to his gold medal winning efforts at London 2012 and recently joined the board of Disability Sports Australia. After shrugging off the disappointment of the Paralympics one year postponement, Bond is eager to make it three from three in the coming games, but this time he'll have an added bit of motivation. He's the first he'll competing in since becoming a father. And to kick off our conversation, staged as he got ready to board a plane, Bondi took me through just what wheelchair rugby is and what's involved in playing his position, which he's one of the best in the world at, the 3.5. Yeah, so look, they invented the sport originally called Murderball um, in Canada uh, in the 70s. Essentially, it was a bunch of guys with spinal cord injuries in a rehab unit who wanted to play basketball but weren't functional enough to compete in any level. So they created this sport. They got some chairs together, a couple of bins, I think, uh, and a ball and crashed into each other and threw the ball in the bin. They said, oh, we can, we can make something of this. So it has grown and evolved since then. Um, but it's, it's actually a very unique sport in that, first and foremost, it's mixed. So men and women play in the sport. Um, and it's full contact um, a wheelchair sport. Uh, and I, I guess in terms of the point system, so it's based on classification, like a lot of disability sports, with a 0.5 classification being the, the highest impaired or the lowest functioning athletes. Um, generally, a lot of spinal cord injuries, uh, maybe minimal movements in their triceps, biceps. Um, and then they go into 0.5 increments all the way up to 3.5 which is my classification, uh, which is the highest level. So I'm an amputee, so I've still got all my trunk, my core um, muscles, which gives me an advantage. So I'm rated at the highest level. And then in wheelchair rugby, you've got four players on court at once, and you have to make up eight classification points with every lineup that you put out there. So it's actually quite strategic in that um, you need to really work on different lineups based on your different classifications. And I guess the main difference between the low pointers, which is 0.5, and the high pointers, the one in between, um, is the low pointers, they'll be more defensive. Um, so sort of like blockers, like in gridiron. Um, they've got special pick bars at the end of their chairs, um, like little catches, essentially. They'll go around and sneakily double team you or something and, and get that, that catcher in front of your chair and really lock you up. So it kind of locks the jars of wheel up and also stop you that way. Um, whereas myself as a 3.5, I'll sort of be the, the main ball carrier 
you know, at times I'll be trying to beat three players and probably defend two or three on my own. Um, and I guess you've got to watch out for those pesky low points trying me up. So that's probably, in a nutshell, where the games come from. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty fast-paced game. So we've got 12 seconds to get the ball over halfway. Um, and it's played on a basketball court. And you've got 40 seconds to score. So it's, it's high scoring, um, fast-paced, and it's full contact. So it's a great spectator sport. It certainly is full contact. I mean, me calling it hard hitting, I feel, is a bit of an understatement. I mean, what sort of knocks do you, as a 3.5, ostensibly a primary ball carrier, what sort of knocks and injuries have you picked up over the journey? Oh, a fair few. I mean, I've been competing with Australia for 10 years now um, and played for my state and my local competition. So I've played a lot of rugby in my time and like most other full contact sports, you know, injuries do happen from time to time. Um, and, you know, it, it's full contact, so you can make as big a hit as you want. But like in most sports, you know, they kind of make the highlight reels, but the majority of the game is quite tactical around using your players and getting out of the way of those big hits. But when they line up, oh, it's there's no better feeling than just putting someone down and putting them in your lap and, and they hit the floor. Generally, you know, sometimes the concussion, you know, the fairly common injury, um, people get hands trapped elbows hit the floor that kind of thing or you might cop a, you know you might land on a guy's chair and cut your forehead open there's little things that can happen in full contact sport but um end of the day you're pretty well strapped in it's a little bit like dodging cars you know the chair takes a lot of that contact and you've got a bit of a whiplash effect um you can ride it out the game's coming up starting at the end of august how are the nerves <laughs> at the moment uh, yeah, there's, there's some nervous guys in our team. I mean, I've been to two Paralympic games before and currently the vice captain. Um, but we've got some new guys on our squad who've never been to a games. And um, we've probably got one or two guys and a, and a girl, actually, um, probably might be on the cutting room floor. So it, it's pretty tense. Uh, we'll all know as a, as a team later this month at our last sort of final training camp before we go to our staging camp. Um, who the, the team is that we're sending away and then we can really sort of build some structure and some form with those uh, guys and girls once they're named. I mean, Australia is looking to three-peat as Paralympic champions at the coming Tokyo Games, heading in as the number one ranked nation in the world, US seconds, Japan, who I did notice did defeat Australia in the gold medal game at the 2018 championships, ranked third, Britain fourth, Canada fifth, but is the head that wears the crown of favouritism a heavy one? Oh, it's been a strange year. Like, usually I would say yes, but no one's played each other for, you know, over a year now. So it's hard to know, A, who's in their team that's performing in other teams, and B, how we're going to go against them. Because usually we play all these top teams multiple times a year in different tournaments, but no one's done that. So... It's, it's, I'm not, I don't know, actually. It's really, really a strange one to go into. Like, we're ranked number one in the world um, still. We've done that for a while, but we just haven't played each other. I think Japan have also got a pretty big target on their head. Um, as you mentioned, the last major comp, they beat us by one goal in the gold medal match. And, um, you know, we came back from five goals to, to come right back to the end and they just picked us. Um, we have beaten them since in, in the zonal qualifiers, but... You know, they're hosting us. It's, it's their games to lose, really. Um, and if they do somehow get crowds there, they'll all be going for Japan. So um, I think it's their, their crown to hold this time. And we'll kind of go in, not as underdogs, but um, I think all the focus is on Japan in 2021. I mean, on the subject of Japan, they're in your pool alongside France and Denmark in Pool A. Now, 
Japan saw yourselves, France and Denmark, put in that pool and then opted to go into that one rather than pool B. I mean, what was your reaction when you saw that? Oh, it made sense, I think. Um, obviously, I've been playing for a while and I kind of understand why they would do that. So both in London and the Rio Paralympic Games, they've actually met us in the semi-final. So we've been in different pools and we've knocked them out twice. So um, I think they sort of saw that and they, the history was kind of looking to repeat. So they put themselves in our pool, hoping that they'll finish top two, um, hopefully with us. And that way they won't cross over with us in the semi-final. And if we ever play them in the final, it'll be the gold medal match. Mm. Now, you yourself, you're in your mid-30s now, heading for your third games, but how did you handle the postponement of these games due to COVID and the talk potentially of them just being cancelled and everybody resetting for Paris? Was that a bit of a kick in the guts for you? Oh, it was a little bit strange. As you said, I was, I was really thought this would be my last campaign and I'll probably retire after 2020 given that I'm, as you said, mid-30s now, I've got a young daughter. Um, I guess it was just a, a shift, you know, without travelling anywhere, without playing the sport, it was a shift to, to what we could do fitness-wise and how we could encourage ourselves mentally as a team from home. So um, totally different um, sort of training, I suppose. Um, but I'd always sort of committed, already committed, you know, the four years. So another year was, was a no-brainer. I was definitely going to um, go all the way through. Um but yeah, I don't know now because now I'm sort of finding a bit more energy and um, without being able to go away all the time, we're sort of hitting good numbers in the gym and feeling well and, you know, injuries are less. So um, I might even stick around for World Championships um, next year, given it's so close. Um, but, but as a team, it's been kind of tough. Yeah, just not being able to be together very often because um, that's why we do it as athletes, especially in a team sport. It's that camaraderie. It's uh, getting together, doing things, um, setting and achieving goals together. When you're by yourself, it can get a bit monotonous at times. Um, and I guess that's my role in a leadership role now, being the vice captain of the team, is um, you know, helping out, especially those newer guys around that and keeping that enthusiasm and the hype around why we do it and the importance and, and the pride of wearing green and gold when we eventually will be able to again. And I have to confess for our listeners that you and I, we have a pre-existing connection in that we've both been involved with Canteen Australia, the organisation for young people living with cancer. In fact, you're a former national vice president of the organisation. So I've been fortunate enough to hear your story and your lessons and take an inspiration uh, from it. But could you give uh, those tuning into the pod a bit of a rundown in your journey to wheelchair rugby, how you came about to play it? It's a long journey. Um, but yeah, I got um, sick when I was 19 years old, just out of the blue, um, you know, fit and healthy young, young fella. Um, just felt ill, went to the doctor um, and got rushed to hospital. Next minute, I woke up in an induced coma um, in ICU a few days later. It was that quick. Um, and they, yeah, said I had a rare uh, form of leukemia, which is a, a blood disorder, uh, and also picked up a, a pretty bad bacterial infection uh, that was kind of running through my body and taking over everything without any immunity there to fight it off. So pretty lucky to be alive, actually. Um, but, you know, I was 19 years old. Went through a year or so of, of treatment in hospital um, in terms of getting my body right. And, and unfortunately, I had to amputate both my legs, my left hand and most of the fingers on my right-hand side um, through some side effects of my illness. Um, and then they, I went through years of chemotherapy to get right. And I guess during all of that, I kind of self-identified as a very fit, strong, sporty kind of guy. 
and I kind of lost that, you know, I was 12 months in hospital in a bed, you don't lose all your muscle mass, you, you lose all this thing and then throw on a, a newly applied disability, it's a fair amount. So when I got out of hospital, you know, when I was searching for my identity and I still identified as that sort of strong, muscly 19 year old guy, independent, do whatever he wanted. So I wanted to try and re recreate this body and, and see what it's got and get back in a sport. It was something that I was really missing in my life. Um, so yeah, I, I reached out and because um, I was in Canberra, um, the AIS said, oh yeah, we'll come do some training over at us. Um, there's a swimming program you might be eligible for and I gave it a crack, I didn't really like it. And then yeah, uh, the head rugby coach one day was in the gym and said, oh, you might be interested in wheelchair rugby. I was like, yes, please sign me up. I wanna give it a go. Um, and yeah, the first time I got in a chair and hit someone, I was basically hooked from then on. Um, and yeah, I guess, you know, that's my sort of sporting journey. That's where that all started. Um, and then I've done a lot of volunteer work with, with Canteen and other organisations um, through my time to, I guess, build some confidence um, and try and give back in some way to, to the next generation of people that might go through what I'm going through, um, that there's light at the end of the tunnel and some coping strategies are needed uh, and peer support's important. So um, yeah, that's kind of my, in a small take, my journey from, um, where I have been to, to the beginning of my sporting journey in wheelchair rugby. And you, you've also mentioned training. And I mean, anybody that watches wheelchair rugby will see the upper body demands of that sport. And even just looking at you now in our video chat, I can see the traps and the teltoids that you're packing. Could you just give us a bit of an insight? Just what sort of training do you do as a wheelchair rugby athlete to prepare yourself to be one of the best 3.5 players in the world? Yeah, I think any athlete um, does a remarkable amount of training because you know you need to do something ten thousand times to, to be a master at it. Um, I just got back from the gym actually, so I'm a little bit spent. But uh, yeah, look, we do oh, about 10, 15 hours a week uh, on court. Uh, that's just the on court training, and we've got a lot of um, sort of homework, game analysis, and then some mental health stuff we do as well. Um, but it's generally looking at around three to four court sessions a week. We work on our fitness, our agility, our skills, and our gameplay. Um, and then about the same uh, in the gym where we work on strength and conditioning, um, working our big muscles and also our smaller muscles and our flexibility um, to be able to get through um, each training session and, and to get stronger and fitter and faster. And then obviously there's a pretty big um, importance on recovery um, before and after sessions with warm-ups and stretching, um, compression, ice bars, et cetera. Uh, and food's pretty important and sleep, the main ones, um, to ensure we can get up and do it again day on day. So. It's very taxing, takes out a lot of your life, um, but it's highly rewarding when you can get success from it um, and your team sport do it together. Wheelchair rugby, it's not a professional sport and you yourself, you work at the Australian Sports Foundation and you're also a director of Disability Sports Australia. What sort of juggling acts is it for you between your athletic life and your personal and professional life? I've read that the wheelchairs yeah. that you use in the sport can cost up to US $10,000. I mean, how difficult is it to maintain your life as an athlete? It's pretty tough. And, and our chairs probably last maximum about two years, given it's full contact, yeah. plus, you know, bits and pieces, wheels, tires, tubes. Uh, it's, it's not cheap, uh, that's for sure. And it's extremely difficult, Joey, to be honest, um, in terms of being a an athlete, a non-professional athlete, um, despite being gold medalist, um, that doesn't pay the bills uh, to get paid to play to play sport as such, um, which is why, you know, and I'm mid-30s now, I've got a young daughter and a family. So I also work full-time and it's probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do is try and be a, a father to a young young daughter, work full-time, 
and before and after training uh, work, sorry, I'll um, commute down to Brisbane or, or do my training at the Sunshine Coast. So basically looking at from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. Is, is full day to me. Um, probably not sustainable long-term, but you know, given that we're in a Paralympic year, um, I've been able to manage that. And I think you just find time, you know, you, you, you craft time for things that are important to you. And any athlete, you'll talk to a big greater time management because you need to, to be able to get the things you need to do in a day. Um, but you do sacrifice a fair amount of social engagements. Um, that's for sure. Uh, and our family sort of sacrifice a lot of time with us in a normal year, not being around. We're usually traveling the world, um, competing or interstate competing. So I guess that's been one silver lining we've been home more um, with, with our family uh, and, our, and our friends to catch up and, and hang out with those guys. But it is tough. And these, you've mentioned this is your first Paralympic game since you became a father. You've got a young daughter now. Mm -hmm. it, how special is it going to be for you that you know that when you take the court in Japan, your daughter's going to be watching on the TV, seeing her dad roll around in the Paralympics? It's pretty cool, mate. Like, you know, back in 2020, they were going to all come. All my friends and family bought tickets and like to go to Japan and make a holiday out of it. That's really cool. They've done it before, but she would have been nine months. Like, she wouldn't have taken any of it in. She would have seen photos later. But now, uh, you know, she'll be closer to two years old and she can already recognise me on the posters or on the TV or whatever. Um, so it's going to be pretty cool that she can sit there, oh, dada, dada. You'll get only get her attention for five seconds, but um, that's pretty exciting to have. You know, I do it for my, my country and my teammates. For one, we're in the green and gold, but that's just something extra to give me out to do it for my daughter and um, show her that you know, hard work pays off and, um, and and work ethic is important. So I want to leave a legacy if this is my last games that I play my absolute heart out. You know, wearing the green and gold, and, and all the videos to come will show that when she's growing up. I also wanted to ask, mate, you mentioned how you were based in Canberra, and I believe uh, you are a Canberra Raiders fan. You even became mates with um, mm. Clinton Shifkovsky when you were doing your rehab at the AIS. Mm. What are your thoughts on this season thus far in the NRL? This season's been a... <laughs> I mean, how you going? We had a win against Manly recently. Um, but, uh, yeah, they've underperformed. <laughs> I, have to, I have to think. I mean, still chance of the eight. I uh, can't write them off. But we had a couple of really good years back-to-back. -back, so it's uh, it's not looking back to the old Raiders style. But I'll, I'm a loyal supporter. Um, when I was doing it tough in high school, they, um, the club got together and came visit me and um, that's left uh, an impact on my life and, and I want to try and give back to those now I've got somewhat of a profile as well so um, yeah they're a great club and um, I wish them all the best. Mm. I mean, a lot of blowouts this year in the uh, NRL what are your thoughts on the six again rules? Well it all kind of introduced because of the Raiders in the grand final right um, <laughs> wish it was around back then uh, probably should have won that game uh, not holding any grudges but uh I like it, you know, um, being an athlete and and, and um, also a, a fan of the sport. I like it to be quick and just, just get up and go, you know. It's going to weed out a lot of bigger boys, unfortunately, but as a spectator, I think it's great. Um, tire them out and see more creative plays. I, I do it in my sport. I have to bust my ass. There's not many rests, so um, it's good to see um, the fast-paced action. Well, thanks uh, very much uh, for joining us today, Chris Bond. I mean, I'll let you go because you've got to catch a flight, but really appreciate you joining us on Tale of the Tape with ESPN and good luck uh, in Tokyo. We'll all be cheering you on and hopefully you can um, bring a shiny gold's toy back for your daughter. That'd be nice. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it, mate.
Bond and his teammates' quest to go back to back to back will commence on Wednesday, August 25 at the Yoyogi National Stadium when they take on Denmark in the first of their pool matches. Assuming they progress, the semi-finals will then take place on August 28 and the bronze and gold medal games will follow the next day. Australia no doubt hoping that their Steelers can make it a triumvirate of murderable triumph. But as we await for to see what the Steelers do, I'd like to thank you for joining us on another edition of ESPN's Beyond the Lead, this time for a discussion between myself and Chris Bond. As a reminder, you can catch this episode, every other episode of Beyond the Lead, and indeed all of ESPN's collection of podcasts and audio goodness, wherever you happen to get your podcasts from. If you're enjoying the Beyond the Lead, be sure to subscribe while you're there and help spread the word with your friends and the like, and if you're not, maybe let's just keep it between us. Anyways, for now, I'll catch you soon for another deep dive into sports as ESPN takes you beyond the lead.